Alright, run it. Hey, I'm from Misfits. Uh, my name is Michelle, aka Omnishi, and this is episode 175 of the Aquaman One Podcast. But this week, uh, Lady Gadaga and Jesus Charles Work have been oh so kind to let us do a little bit of the Because Black Takeover. So this week, you guys, what we're going to be bringing to you is the Because Black Book Club review. It's going to be our first review um, of the book that we selected in our initial um, read. So. You guys, I hope you enjoy and sit back and listen as we review What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker by Damien Young. So, today I'm going to be joined by my lovely friend and co-host, and you can introduce yourself. Hello, Awkward Misfits. I'm commentator number two, Toya. I'm an Aquarius. I like long walks on the beach. Psych, let me stop messing around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I'm not peddling dope. Or smuggling drugs through the airport. Okay. I occasionally like to read. Tell your life. Tell your life story. And (laughs) I'm like, my name is Michelle, and my close friends call me Mishi, but I'll probably refer to myself as Michelle because that's awkward. Um, so yeah, we have been, we've been in the for like, how long? Almost like, oh man. Like 18? 18 years. 18, at least y'all, 18 years. Back in the call center days, call center alumni stand up. So, and, um, um, yeah, Michelle was one of my leads and trainers. So, yeah, you see how that worked out. No, <laughs> no, I'm just messing. So, um, yeah, you guys, we're going to get started today. First of all, I'm very excited that, um, thanks to Lady Godiva and Jesus Shows work again for giving us this wonderful opportunity to, um, not only just uplift and highlight black culture, but black authors, um, and not only just black authors, but modern black authors that may speak to um the times that we're living in today and just, you know, things that we can relate to as, you know, people of a particular age, none of them are age out there. There's nowhere <laughs> old enough to have kids and be grown. So once again, like I said, the book that we read, uh the first book is called What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker. Um, a memoir and essays by author Damian Young. Um, this particular book we actually got from a bookstore online, so if you're looking for it, uh, we'll give you the information for that, because one of the things that we want to do here on Because Black is not only to um, highlight Black uh, talent, but also support Black business um, and everything Black. So this particular book was found on bookshop.org um, through a Lovely, lovely, lovely bookstore out of Chicago, a black-owned bookstore, a black woman-owned bookstore, so shout out to both ladies. Absolutely. Um, and that bookstore is called Semi-Colon Bookstore and Gallery. So if you're looking for the book and want to purchase it from a black-owned bookstore, um, please check them out through um, bookshop.org, and you can go to their website as well and purchase it. So, I guess today, let's get started. Let's get into it. All right. So, one of the first things we're going to talk about today is, so, I'm going to ask you this. What was your overall uh, opinion of the overall book? Like, just your overall take of it. Um, the book was hilarious. The book, mm-hmm. um, from, from, from the start, I thought the book was funny um, with the no-hose bar kind of twist. Um, but all in all, insightful. 
I felt that he captured um, the complexities of blackness in a modern context, mm-hmm. and um, that it was both compelling and thoughtful. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that you know I went with this book at first because um, when Jesus Shuttlesworth kind of brought this opportunity to me, one of the things that I did want to do was highlight books that spoke to just the way that you know things that we were seeing on the news and how they related to the black experience. But like I said, one of the things that I wanted to make sure I kept was keeping it modern. Right. Um, and I love the way that the book is written. Um, cause it does say a memoir essay. Right. So I think they're, it's written in very relatable terms. And I think that as you read the book, you start to pull apart things that you probably can definitely relate to in your own life. Right. Um, and apply those whether you be male or female. Um, so we're going to get into some of those things as well. Um, one of the things that also I want to talk about, not only the way it's written, is um, the way we consumed it. So we, pur- of course, purchased the book, and Toya listened to the audio, and I read it. Now, I told her <laughs> that when I was reading it, you know, one of the things I did like about this book was that his humor and his wit um, and some of the things that he talks about and some of the people that he speaks about, when I was reading it, I read it in... You know, my own voice. She my read it in tone. Idris Elba's voice. Yes, I did. I read it in Idris Elba's voice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I read it in, you know, when I got to certain parts and talked about, like, you know, when you're talking about maybe white people, when you're talking about his friend, white friend using the word nigga, you know, stuff like that. You know, I had voices for those. So, I didn't consume it in an audio format at first and reading it. I definitely enjoyed it, but I know, sorry, you consumed it in audio. Listen. And here. Um... <laughs> I wish that I had read the book. I wish that I had actually gotten a physical copy of the book and read it because, listen, his voice is not for the faint at heart. Yeah, think of Ben Stein, a black Ben Stein, but, you know, just read. It's very monotone. It's very one projection. I don't know. Very dry. Yeah, so. The dry eyes commercial guy. I forget his name. Ben Stein. Ben Stein, okay. Don't get clear eyes, the dry eyes. No. But I will say this, it. That, ma- that made it funny though. That made it funny because it did make it kind of like, uh, cause it didn't, I guess they just said it not with transit because I did actually go back and listen to it in the audio format. And I must admit at first I was like, oh wow. But then as I started listening more, I guess I got used to his voice. Mm-hmm. So it kind of worked out in the end. But I do think reading it does give you the opportunity to kind of have those moments to put some of those things in the, your own vocal sense in your head. So, right. Um, I, you know, I totally agree. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and also I said, if you do decide to consume an audio, you know, please stick it out because you will get used to it because overall, I do think, one thing I will say about listening to it was that I was kind of able to pick up maybe more on some of the home points, some of the things he was trying to right. drive home. I, I agree too. Yeah. So, um, I do think that was a plus in listening to the audio. Um, so yeah, so definitely how you consume it was two different experiences. Um, but still it was an equally, you know, entertaining. It's a good read. Yeah. Um, so now we're just going to start talking about some of the things that we enjoyed from the book and enjoyed and, um, kind of could relate to us, um, in our life experience. So I think one of the things that we talked about behind the scenes and we, um, definitely wanted to be, bring up here was talking about just being, you know, just what does it mean to be an awkward black? Like, I think with people like, um, talking about 
behind the scenes um, with people like Issa Rae bringing in kind of like that. The interim. Right. Well, the, the awkward black girl. Right. Right. And I think this actually, that's another reason why I think I was drawn to this book because it does really give me kind of like that awkward black boy experience. It, right. His experience. And he also, in this book, he did break down different types of blacks. Right. And he did it through, and I think he did that through just the, he didn't maybe label them, but he did it through his experiences in, in, in the chapters and kind of like his interaction with people. So, um, that's something we did want to kind of, you know, double a bit into what I had that made us feel like stereotypes. What do you think it means to be awkward, awkward black? Um, not like the shit that normal black folks are supposed to like. Right. The stuff that I'm stereotypically told that I'm supposed to like, like for me, for example, I grew up in well, I should say for where we live, I grew up on the white side of town, but I lived in the most blackest neighborhood on the white side of town that there was. <laughs> so for me, like we lived in housing. We lived in, we kind of moved on up like the Jeffersons. I mean, we moved in a house, but right. it was still a black ass neighborhood. It's almost like living in the outskirts <laughs> of the, the white part of town. So. But because of that, uh, one of the things that I know I grew up a lot with, and I don't know about you, um, that was, I guess, I, they made me feel awkward was how I spoke. I've always spoken very articulate. I've mm-hmm. always been very, I've always pronounced my words. My mom always taught us to not see your shit. So, you know, from and a kid, right. yeah, and get it right. So ever since, you know, I've always been that way. Like, even as a little kid, I would always see people say, oh, you talk so proper. You talk so proper. And I never, I guess I never understood what that meant. I just knew I spoke the way I spoke. Right. Um, for me, um, my awkward black, the definition for me of being an awkward black is my sarcasm mm-hmm. and my wit. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe 62% of people get me. Mm. Um. I'm the one in the crowd where everybody's laughing about a joke and then I'll <laughs> land mine and it doesn't go well. Maybe you're, maybe one person in the crowd. You're like the person, you're like the one, everybody laughs and like three seconds later there's that one person like, aha! Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, where the hell you been? You was like three seconds too late. Um, right. Yeah, like, uh, cricket, cricket. <laughs> so that's, that's me. I, I'm, I'm very sarcastic, um, with, with my wit and a lot of, some, I've been labeled as a mean person, but I, I'm not. I'm dry, I'm actually dry. So think it's dry humor. Yeah. So, but I didn't like his tone in this book. But <laughs> I can relate to him. I right? think that was what it was. So I think a lot of it I got from his tone was he has a very dry sense of humor. It's mm-hmm. a dry wit, a dry sarcasm. And I think if you're not used to that, that I could see how that quickly could be like, uh, no. Um, cause it's not animated. Mm-hmm. It's not animated in his tone that much. It doesn't deviate. No inflection whatsoever. Yeah. So, um, and that is something that, so I can, def- I can totally see that. Um, and also too, like I said, just in terms of how I spoke, like when I was in school, I was the only black kid in my neighborhood who everything on the bus with violin case. Like, mm. I played violin. I remember, I remember well. those kids. Yeah. And I was, I never, it was nobody else getting off the bus in my neighborhood with a violin case. So. You didn't talk to anybody on the bus, did you? You know what? That's not accurate at all. I actually used to talk. I, okay, I The violin this. case girl on my bus didn't talk to anybody. This is, well, this is my thing. I didn't start stuff. And I would sit on, I would come, cause I knew my violin case was big. So, it's a quick story, because I mean, like, this is, this is one of those things we talk about being awkward and, and being black, and 
So I was like one of the few people on the bus, probably one of the only ones with a violin case. And I used to sit in the seat. We had a sign seat with this girl that lived in my neighborhood. And every day, they would, you know, she would make little comments. Like, oh, I can't move. I don't have any space. <laughs> the violin. Now, keep in mind, I'm sitting in the fucking aisle. Girl. The shit between my legs. Like, trying to keep it close every day. And she lives right across the street from me. So I don't even know what she was thinking. So... Every day, I can't see it, she can't see it, she can't have me So then, like, one day, I don't know what happened, I'm, she's caught me on a bad day, and she was making her little comments, and I just remember just turning around and just blacking fuck out on her, and I... Did you go upside her head with the case? I didn't go upside her head with the Oh, case, man, that's what I was hoping for. But it was enough for the bus driver, you had that one bus driver that was like, y'all ain't going nowhere until everybody sit down. <laughs> but needless to say, I had to go to the shooting principal. And then when I was like, explained myself, he let me go. He's always let me off. I think because they was like, you, you, you're, you're like not a nice troublemaker. Right. Yeah, you're not a troublemaker. She's a case, girl. But let's just say that day after she set her ass in that seat, that she didn't make that one goddamn comment because she knew I'd bring my ass across the fucking street and talk to her and her mama. But, anywho, that's what I'm saying. People bring you out your character when they think that you are, quote unquote, that awkward person. Like, you're not going say anything, there's a perception there. And right. I think a lot of this book we talk about those perceptions and fighting between being proving yourself to be overly black but still being true to the things that you like. Like right. you know, we talked about, you know, I like sci fi. I love horror. I love thriller. I don't find a lot of people who share that love. You know, I love a good horror movie and those type of things. And, you know, sometimes I find it hard to relate to people on that level because I really do enjoy those things. Right. I don't know anybody who enjoys those things like I do. So, um, and another thing that we share is just um, our love for music, right? Especially right. underground music. Underground music. There, um, there are not a lot of females that enjoy the type of music we do, so. right? And I love a little bit everything. And growing up, especially like even though I'm my only child, I just spent a lot of time as an only child. And that was another thing. I think when we talk about being awkward, that I identified with was, you know, everybody wasn't going around, you know, listening to. You know, some of the alternative things that I would listen to and mm. some of the, you know, the music and songs that I like. So it was like I said, I, sometimes you do find that constant struggle between the balance of proving your blackness. And, and do you think that's because of the area that you mm-hmm. grew up in? Mm-hmm. Um, in person. It, it wasn't a mixed neighborhood. I grew up, you know, around, they had like one white neighbor. So, um, I think to hear him talk about the experiences he had, whether it be, you know, going from his neighborhood and describing the people that lived in his neighborhood, um, and then going to school and, and going to school on this other side of town and then being submersed in this different world where people have money right. and cars, you know, um, he's talking about, I remember he talked about in one chapter about him having a crush on the girl, but he wouldn't speak to her or because she, he, she had money. She, she had, had money, a car. Right. She had and, status. Right. She had status. And he said, you know, I don't have no car. I can't, so what does it look like? We trying to speak to her, I'm sitting on the bus stop, and then she come riding by. Right. And it's like, okay, well, damn. So, um, you know, definitely going through that. So and I, I can definitely that. relate to that. Yeah. There are a lot of points in this book that kind of like touched on things that I've been through. Um, and I know we also talked about, um, you know, the stereotypes versus the, you know, the perceived norms of, of black people and especially our black men and, um, you know, what is considered, you know, defining that type of, of role, like what that role should be. Right. So, um, in this book, he, um, he talked about being a weird black and, um, 
with being a weird black man in particular, um, I, without giving the book away too much, mm-hmm. he's an, he was an educator. Mm-hmm. And they would, they thought he was gay. Yeah. <laughs> because of his impeccable style. Right. And the way he carried himself. Right. And, um, he, he wasn't gay, but the fact that he was perceived as gay, I, I, I just, I wonder. And, and then one of his friends also thought that he might have been gay because he never really had a girlfriend. Right. So. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that you, you said and you bring it up to that. I mean, I, you know, we've, we, you know, of course, we've been for a long time, so we've had conversations and I am not that relationship girl. I'm just, I'm not saying that I'm not open to it, but among my friends, I'm probably that girl that I'm the, I'm the Joan in terms of relationship status. Right. Just never quite getting that shit right. Um, and I do think that I definitely probably have moments where people probably have thought maybe that I that for the other team, but I, I don't. <laughs> um, and you know, I thought that at one time. See there? I did. See there? Listeners. See there? <laughs> and because I think, because I wear my hair low. I usually wear my hair very low. Um, I don't think that was it though. It was not. just that you were a very private person. I am. Yeah. And not to say that because you're private, you obviously bat for the same team or, or like the same sex, but it's just. I didn't disclose a lot. And you did I, not disclose a lot. And I still don't like disclose a whole lot about my, my true personal life. So I can see how fighting that, that norm of the perceived notions um, of those little things like, oh, why don't you have this? And why don't you have that? And, and you know, this and that and the third. It's like, no, it's not so much. It's the perception that you have right. so, of me, especially if you don't know me. So I can definitely see that. I will say this. The low haircut don't help on me. Even but though, it was fly shit, though. No kidding. Y'all. Men love it. Listen, Michelle has the baddest fucking haircuts, okay? Men <laughs> love it. Just so you know, y'all. Men <laughs> love it. So, yeah, so... Um, I think that's a, that was a very interesting theme through, that he had throughout um, the book was constantly that struggle between defining what you what, what it means to be black versus you know feeling awkward still in your own skin and even around your own people. Right. Um. So another thing that um you know we both can relate to as well is just um you talking about later on the book that I went to just about being a parent. Mm-hmm. Um. And you know of course. Um, not giving that too much of my own personal shit. No, um, <laughs> I am, um, a parent of one. I have a 22 year old daughter. And, you know, one thing about me, I tell anybody, I don't have any problem with disclosing my age. If you ask me, I will tell you. I'm telling y'all right now, I'm 40. I'm 40 and proud. And she looks good, by the way. Thank you, girl. I do too. And I'm a mother of four. You know, I was laying it low and dropping it, you know, wide. So. And still only probably a book 10 with. I ain't been a book Don't listen to her, y'all. I'm thick. Look, there's only one of us sitting here that can probably eat whatever we want and not be worried about the 10 pounds that we're going to sit on the scale this day. And it is not me. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, he talked about, um, in one of the other chapters in the book, he talked about being a parent, um, and those fears that you have. And I think we always parents have those fears of whether or not we're going to do the right thing about our kids. And, you know, I know, you know, for myself and I'm, I think with you too, we were young. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 18. Um, I didn't know anything about being a parent. I didn't have At friends all. who had kids. Right. I didn't have friends who could help me. You know, I had my mom, but my mom was of a certain age. So her 
her ideals and, and styles. And one of the things that I think we all go through is breaking cycles. I think we talk a lot about, Absolutely. we hear, you know, a lot about breaking cycles and generational Curses. curses and how we're going to do that differently in our kids. And um he spoke a lot to that about being, you know, maybe just a little bit fearful of, you know, are you going to do the right thing? Right thing. Um, and he also, I think, talked about a lot about, you know, the things that he would have to teach his child um because, you know, his daughter, because she's black. She's a black. Um, and in, in reference to, or in contrast to what white parents have to teach their children or exactly. don't have to teach their kids. Exactly. Um, I know for me, and I don't know if you have, for me, one of the things was driving. Um, having your kids understand where they can drive at night and not speed. Right. Because you're fearful that they're going to get pulled over. Um, he also talked about, you know, teaching a child the history that they don't learn in school. Right. That's something that white people do take for granted. We learn their history. They're not forced to learn all. Well, for me, I think having a black, having two black sons, one, he, you can't tell him he's not a rapper, okay? <laughs> he likes the skinny jeans and the tight fitted shirts and the saggy <laughs> pants. And so I have to remind him mm-hmm. that perception is everything. Exactly. And even though my son is the sweetest child and he's not into anything that he, he loves to listen to, the way he may be perceived is different. Mm-hmm. And he's 15 and he's over six feet tall. So it's scary because he does not look 15. My son looks like he could be 18. Grown, grown man. And unfortunately, um, I had this conversation too with, um, my daughter as well about just, you know, there is a lack of, of, um, oh, what's what I'm looking for? Relatability. Right. Because when you don't have similar experiences, there is a lack of empathy there. Absolutely. they have to be aware of that. Like, I'm not going to, they're not going to see you as I see you are. The person, you know, someone your friends see you, they see you as, they see your color first and everything about you later. So, and then you're a threat. Right. Because you're something that they're not used to. Exactly. So I think a lot of that, um, experience, and like I said, just breaking those generational, um, stereotypes and curses of black parents. Like, one of the things, you know, she loved my mother to death, but one of the things, you know, my mother did a lot was she said things in the context. Mm-hmm. So one of my things is always to maybe make sure that when I say things, I put them in the context in which I want them to be understood. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, just like certain things my mama loves to say, I think this might be my mama's all-time favorite phrase. My mom, and I'm going to let you finish, but my, I'm, you know, I had to throw my, con- <laughs> my Kanye in there. Taylor Swift, right, I'm going to let you finish. My mom... Is the same exact way, and that's a whole nother podcast mm-hmm. for a whole nother day because we can we can talk about black moms and just their generation all day mm-hmm. long. So yeah, what, what's her saying? But, but her favorite one, I don't think your mama has one, but my mama's one was, um, everybody's skinny right up in your face and your friend. Oh yeah, that was her. That's one of her top five. I think that my mama was top five. Okay, <laughs> everybody who's skinny right up in your face ain't your friend, and um. She would say that to me. And it took me, you know, because I got a lot older to understand what that meant. It always takes you to get a lot longer to understand what they mean. Yeah. And I think that, you know, but at the same time, you know, I, I always say I don't fault my mom for some of the things that she taught us and the way she was. Because I understand, you know, when they were growing up, some of those things literally meant whether or not you lived with us. Exactly. Whether or not you came home, whether or not you saw your family that night and just the fears that they had to go through as 
living in America as, you know, as black people during that time. They grew up in a different time. So they carried those things with them. And even though they may not apply as harshly sometimes as, you know, they did then, they're still very true and they're very relevant. So, um, I definitely resonated a lot with what you said with that, with teaching them history, you know, teaching them to go to make sure you know your history. Make sure you know more than just, you know, no disrespect to Martin Luther King, but you know it's a whole lot of black folks who did a whole lot of black things. Right. Besides, great things besides Martin Luther King. In the, in the civil rights movement. In the civil rights movement. We have such a vast history and making sure that. Girl, you know, you know, know they only know three black people. Who is it? Jesse. Did we even get Jesse? Well, Martin, Martin, Malcolm, Malcolm, and Rosa, and Rosa, yeah, and occasionally Eli Whitney with Cotton Gin. Yeah, I think I think Keyword Jesse is an um, honorable mention. <laughs> Jesse, <laughs> not the honorable, yeah, not the honorable mentions. And George Washington carving the peanut butter because we all love a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So he used to get thrown in the mix too. But yeah, like we didn't learn a lot about you know our history, so it is a lot about uh, us making sure that we instill that into. Our, our kids and how we do that because we weren't taught to do that. Mm-hmm. So you know, it has been a lot of learning. So I'm hoping with our kids, with growing up, as they start to have kids, those things that we have started, the the processes that we've started to implement, maybe they carry that on and improve upon them because our kids usually, hopefully, are improvements of us. You know, they're better than us. We they're well. Them. That that's that's what we hope for. Yeah, so yeah. we hope for. I don't know. It don't work out all the time. Because as you see, some of you niggas just weren't gonna make it to the game. Exactly. I mean, it's Um, but, <laughs> but you know, we, we do what we can. We do what we can up until the point that we can't do it anymore. So, um, yeah, so I, I thought that was another strong thing in the book that resonated with me a lot. Um, and speaking on just being parents, um, talking about just not only us as parents, sorry, us as parents, but, um, our parents ourselves, going back to our own parents. Um, mm-hmm. He talked also in the book about his parents a lot, the things that, um, you know, his parents went through. He talked about losing a parent. Right. Um, and, you know, knock on wood, that's something that, you know, I haven't experienced yet, but my parents are still alive. My dad passed um, about 15 years ago. So. Um, um, and I can imagine how hard that would be. Um, in terms of being just like the, you know, in terms of just being like seeing your parents go through things, right. um, seeing them having to deal with life and how you internalize that and see that. But more importantly, I think like for us, just not understanding a lot of that stuff till we got older. Right. Um, and in particular, one of the things that he talked about, and I think has been very, um, talked about a lot, especially this year and, with everything that's going on is black women and health, health. and how we're treated. Um, I don't know about you, but being a black woman, going to the doctor and saying, hey, this is not, I don't feel right, or this doesn't feel right, or not, I don't feel well, it just hurts. And being, it being dismissed. And they just write through a prescription and send right. you on your fucking way. And yeah. Right. And talk about, you know, in particular, the narrative of being strong. And that perception that we have of, you know, in general, society across the board. My mother actually has a fear of going to the doctor. Really? Her, um, her generation, well, I can't speak for all because your mom, well, I'm good at she loved it out of my mom, she, she subscribes to the philosophy, if something's wrong with me, I don't want to know about it. 
Mm. And I don't know if that ties into being strong um, or fearful. I mean, I guess it's just how you look at it. But, um, yeah, she, she doesn't, she will not, she just wants to go out of here without knowing. Yeah, my mom is awesome. My mom loves a damn dog. Is she a hypochondriac? Man, my mom has since about five billion tears somebody getting a flu shot. And I keep to, I keep wanting to say my mom, you never know. <laughs> I'm not getting a flu shot. Last time I got it, I got the flu. Mm-hmm. So I'm not getting That's it. what it is, though. You yeah. didn't know that, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, But, you know, just in talking about and I think that, you know, when he talked about, you know, would her treatment have been different if she would have had, um, she would have been white. Would her symptoms have been taken ser- more seriously? Would she have been treated more with urgency than what she was? Um, I can kind of believe that. I do, I do too. I, I I've had to go that. to the doctor for the last three years for the same issue. And they keep telling me that. I'm fine. Right. So. Yeah, I've had that experience as well. Like, this is not, you know it's not normal. I know it's not normal. This is not something that should be happening. But you just, like you say, you write it off as, you know, oh, well, you'll be fine. As if my pain level is different than, I don't know, Mary Jo, who come in here and explain things, complain the same thing. So, you know, that narrative of black women just being perpetually strong. I mean, we are black magic. But, I mean, that is true. Our black yeah. girl magic is always in effect. But I mean, we have, we're vulnerable. Absolutely. We're all vulnerable. And I mean, we hurt too. Exactly. We hurt too. We're vulnerable. We have those moments where we can, we need to be supported and we need to be uplifted and reminded that we're still valued. Um, so just kind of that. And then just in terms of, like I said, I, I'm fortunate enough that I haven't lost a parent. So just going through that grieving process and, you know, maybe to see how your other parent grieves Grease. that. I mean, I don't know, you said 15 years ago, but, do you remember what that was like? Do you oh, recall that? Yes, or do, I do. you every day? You know, so, you know, um my dad passed the day after my birthday. So oh, that'll wow. be something I always remember. Wow. And it wasn't easy for my mom either. So Wow. Yeah, I that that can make that be hard. Um so yeah, so I, I thought that was something else that stood out to me, um, in the book as well. Another thing that um I actually thought was pretty interesting was he talks a lot about having these moments, these nigga moments. Oh, that was my favorite <laughs> part of the book. Yes. And just almost in a sense feel like, which I didn't know, because I, I'll say this, I ain't never went nowhere and seen and went somewhere and seen a white person and you're like, ooh, you call me a nigga. <laughs> but I've definitely had moments where I've gone places and felt like, Immediately not felt knew I was a minority. Right. And all I could look around and say, what are these guys trying to look at? I wish, it's, it's basically, <laughs> I wish it, I wish, I wish a cracker would. I know somebody that's what it is. Yeah, I wish you would. Like, cause I, but you're on alert. Right. And in a sense, you know, I think about it now, I'm like, that's not really good. But in this book, <laughs> it's like, um, you guys, he was kind of praying for, a nigga fight. Yeah. That's what he referred to it as. Yeah. Like he really wanted that because everybody that he had in his life had experienced one. Right. And it was almost like he viewed it as a rite of passage. You, right. You get your full, full black points <laughs> on your black card when you have a moment where you have a nigga moment. Um, so yeah, yeah cause I don't think I've been in any place where I'd be just like, like I said, the way it was to be, and to be honest, you know, we're in the South. 
But I don't know if I've ever had anybody call me a nigga to my face. Like, it meant it in a way where it's like, yeah, you know, I'm talking to you, nigga. I'm sure it might have happened without us knowing about it. That's what I always think it is. We don't know. Like, but I don't think I've ever had anybody blatantly, nobody's ever blatantly come to my face and said something and they're like, you nigga, you're not here. And I don't think I want to experience that. I don't know how I would feel. And you know what? That's one thing I will say about living where we live in, in the South. Mm-hmm. I think we grow up knowing where, we, where we're welcome to where we're not. Right. I think it's, it's a lot more, we're more aware of it. I think that's because we've been taught to be mm-hmm. more aware of it versus living in other places. I think it's there. And I think, but because the, maybe the, the, Populations are, races are more, they live more segregated. Right. Are separated by choice. They may not encounter it. Definitely not going to the monster truck show. Hell no. It's not for us. I'm not going to the monster (laughs) truck show in certain places. I mean, it's terrible, but it's like certain places, I don't even like to drive at night. Like certain kinds, hey, I'm sorry. I ain't going to Lexington County. We live in South Carolina, y'all. Um, but I'm not going to Lexington County after some falls and some down in some areas. I'm just not doing it. Not that I, Nobody's telling me right. I can't, but I know how. That's definitely a sundown town. <laughs> Got to get out of there before a certain time. Certain dirt roads, you better not turn down. You may not come back up. I mean, and that's just that's just <laughs> that's, that's how it is, right? Um, and just then, he also talked a lot too, and I never thought about this really kind of. I was like, you know what? That is kind of true. Like even amongst black people, when you first meet someone, I don't think it is very cool to be like, "Hey, what's up, nigga?" You know? No, you know I. <laughs> I think you have to know your audience. You have to read the room. And you have to know what type of quote unquote blacks you're around. Um, I, that's not my first, I don't, some people take that as disrespect. Right. You know, we're in the era of kings and queens. Right. It's what's up, king. Not peasants and paupers, depending on what category you fall in. (laughs) Absolutely. But no, I just don't walk, hey, what's up, nigga? No, that's not me. That's not me either. I, I wouldn't even think. To, to even say that to someone upon meeting them, like to be that automatically comfortable. But you know, some people, but I guess that goes into the notion that, you know, we get around other black folks that automatically maybe get too comfortable at Right. Times. And not remembering that we are, and I think we talked about this in the past, is that we are not monolithic in our experience. So, you know, your experience maybe is different than mine and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So we have to, anytime we, I guess, Come across somebody, we need to treat it as if this is the first time we truly, truly are meeting and we don't know anything about you. Right. And how we would want somebody to approach us. Um, so I always try to think of it in that aspect too, like, how would I want you to do it? Um, and definitely don't come up to me and be like, hey, what's up, nigga? Cause you definitely might get a hard eye roll and like, what the fuck? Exactly. Um, so yes, yeah, so I thought he talked a lot about that, um, in the book and I actually, when he told the story, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, because I have, not so much from a white friend, but he told the story about them sitting around that in was the white room <laughs> talking about and him. Um, he was with a black girl, and he said that the girl was telling him something about his car or something. Right. And he proceeded to and, No, he was, she was saying that there were some guys outside. Sitting on the car. Sitting on the car. And he was like, these niggas, these niggas. But you're in a room full of black, black men. People. Right. And that's the first. And I guess he was saying because he'd been around them so long, they were comfortable, they were friends. But even still, being friends, if I know if I have a white friend and I think you're going to let a nigga fly, 
in the story. There are token whites, but you still have to know your limits. <laughs> token whites. Right. Um, there are some John B's in the clip. Oh yeah, there's always a John B in the clip. And even with John B and being in the clip, at least I have to remind John B that you still are white. And no. It's just a no. Right. It's just a no. I don't care who told you you could do that. Do that around them. But don't do that around me. <laughs> and I, I don't really care for the black the blacks that allow that. Mm-mm. Because if you give one a pass, then don't be offended the next go round. Right. You don't pick it to pick and choose. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with that because you gave one a pass. So it's like you're saying that they all can do it. So more of the story white people listening, don't say nigga once, twice, or three times in a conversation. Don't just say once. How about that? You just stop. You just say people. How about that? Or, you know, kings and queens. Say these three kings. He could have said these three kings were sitting on my And car. stop worrying about how many times we can say it. Exactly. When we say it, how we say it, you just know when it come on in the song, you better not say it. How about that? Because we look. Right. You start there. So let's start there. Yeah, so um I definitely thought that was a, a reoccurring thing that we talked about um a lot. Excuse me, a lot in the um book as well. So you know, we talked um about also just um going back real quick. We talked about being black in the neighborhood and maybe kind of those things that make us inherently black. And I think that's something that this book did remind us a lot of, which mm-hmm. was those things that make us inherently black. And it ties so much into the title. What doesn't feel you makes you black? What the black experience for me is running out of shit. Like sugar and and Kool-Aid and ketchup and going to your black neighbor. And you all were kind of like the corner market for each other. Right. Because you would borrow stuff, but I don't think the white folks were doing that. That's part. That's a part of the black experience for me, I think. I think a part of the black experience, especially growing up, um, the candy lady. The candy lady. Um, we called it penny candy. Penny candy. We called right. it the candy lady. Candy store was always that one lady in the neighborhood that had the annihilators and had the, um, all the other good candies that you would get to choose. Choose on oh, my man. shit. Let me tell y'all something right now. <laughs> the corner store around the corner for me sells individual bags, sells the bags that you mm-hmm. use, but like they sell them by flavors. So when I tell you I go to the corner store and I will bust down a bag of apple chews that was grandmama. Oh, you talking about, wait a minute, the Johnny Appleseeds were my shit. And the Alexander Grapes. Johnny Appleseeds, Alexander Grapes, um, I didn't like Tissy Rose, but I fucked up a fruity. The fruity I was still fucking yeah. some fruities right now. I can go buy them too. Um, those and, um, Jolly Ranch, the, not the, the Jolly Rancher Sticks. They still made Jolly Rancher Sticks. You remember Jolly Rancher Sticks? You can buy the sticks. Yeah, they still, I think they still buy the sticks. I mean, they really? still sell the sticks, but you, they are limited where you can find them. Oh, man. My shit, it was the Sugar Babies. You remember the Sugar Babies? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Sugar Daddy was the, the stick. Mm-hmm. The caramel stick. And Bonkers. <gasps> that was my favorite candy. God, I used to love Bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> They're 
what the fuck are they talking oh about? Oh my god, if you too if you are too young to remember bonkers, you do not live. I definitely remember that was bonkers. my favorite candy. Mambas? Mambas. It's still some mambas today, but mambas back then were different. I don't know what it was about the mambas. The ingredients have changed. It's something. So even back then I mean, we got all some food, but I mean this is all a part of just the growing up and just dodging back. Side note, real quick, uh, fruit roll-ups. Yes. Fruit roll-ups just taste completely different when we were kids. I thought they were more real fruit. They were real fruit. Now they had like plastic on plastic. Uh So you're consuming plastic that's stuck to plastic. So it's like, I might just eat all of it, including the plastic. Um, but yeah, Candy Lady, Kool-Aid, we talked about, he talks about Mm Kool-Aid in the book and using a bag of sugar to, you know, one pack of Kool-Aid. The fire hydrant in the summertime. Double Dutch. Double in the streets. Yeah, double dust for sure. Outside in the summertime. Uh, street lights. Being home by the street light. Oh yeah. That was a given. You better be on that porch by the street light. Um, and, I mean, just the games. Mother may, uh, hide and go seek in the day and hide and go get it in the night. Playing house with like, your neighborhood crush. Did y'all have the, the green box? No, we had the green box, the green electric box. We lost okay, it. okay, yeah. Probably getting damn radiation poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> you mean sitting on it? Yeah, we used to all hanging out, out on it, hanging yeah. out on it. No, we couldn't tell whatever. We didn't know. We just know sometimes it got warm and cut on. I didn't know right. what it was. So you know, like we just used to play. Um, uh, I remember, you know, I lived in when we were younger. We lived in housing, so it was all black. But I know for us, we always had it was predominantly or Excuse me, y'all. Um, predominantly black, but we also mm-hmm. had that one white family. And I'll never forget, we had a, uh, a little white boy that lived in the neighborhood, and he, um, used to play with the, uh, play with us. And one day, one of the little girls went home and told her mom that he had hit her. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she goes to the house of the little boy, his wife, and confronts the mama. So now here we are. Now, you know, in the neighborhood, when one going to confront, even if it ain't our business, we right. all going to confront. <laughs> so, we the little kids sitting around looking, and they got into a fight. Like a full on, y'all. <laughs> a full on fight. Racial tension in the Racial, early 90s. Racial, it looked like some do the right thing shit up in there. When I tell y'all, y'all, I'm going to tell y'all something. That was the first time I seen a titty pop out doing the fight. Because the lady, because the mom, the black lady was kind of heavy set, So, like, she, I don't know why she came out there saying bra. I don't know why she came out But they got to fighting and tussling. And this thing, no shirt came up. Boobies was flying everywhere. And this and that and third. Like you said, it was just like one of those things. It was just growing up. I don't think we would have seen that. You want to know the, the best part of the black experience for me growing up in the early 90s? No cell phones, no cameras, no record of all the shit that I've done. Okay? Nowhere on the internet. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, that and also beads. Yeah. Beads, hair beads. Hair beads. Clacking, clacking around. To this day, that is distinctly a black, a little black girl thing. And I love, even to this day, to see little black girls and beads. Beads and hula hoops. And hula hoops. And um, and especially when you get a fresh brain and you're swinging, hear beads, and it's, I think that's something that is an indoor and knockers, hair knockers, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So a lot of those things, unfortunately, now that we were perceived to be colored hair, things that we were perceived to be ghetto, now is being adopted by mainstream culture and oh, it's yes. being trendy and chic. Well, we saw girls in the neighborhood, I mean, back in my day, I mean, we used to color our hair, they used to color their hair with Kool-Aid. 
Absolutely. This is one lady with love black Jerry Kool-Aid. She would dye her hair with the black Jerry Kool-Aid. I'd be fascinated by it being done by Kool-Aid. So, yeah, I think it's a lot of things that they we They love our do. culture. They it's not us. Exactly. They love our culture. They don't like to say, you know, they love our rhythm, but they hate our rhythm. You'll never, you know, and I think that's what a lot of us, you know, uh, when I read the title for the book in particular, you know, I think about all the experiences we as black people have to go through and we've dealt with and, you know, whether it be directly or indirectly, and it's true. Like, what hasn't killed us has made us stronger, it's made us blacker, it's made us more unified, and I love to see it. Yes, uh, and I that's why, um, you know, with this platform, you know, because black, I love the idea that it's because black. I mean, I really, there is no other reason. There is no other reason. Just to and that's celebrate it. who we are. Yeah, so... um so I think we, you know, talking about some things that we like from the book. So I think we're going to round this one out where we um, are going to say we, this book was technically a movie that had a soundtrack. And what's, what's a couple of songs that we would have put on the soundtrack to this particular movie? So, Toy, I'll let you give yours first, um, the, the songs that you chose. My song was, um, well, my first song was I'm Black, Y'all. I'm black, y'all. I'm blacker than black because I'm black, y'all, from CB4. Okay, that was a fictional group. But um, that song and um, the optimistic from Sounds of, by Sounds of Blackness. Oh, there's your key. Yes, ma'am. That's such a great song. I, I was, love that song. And it, it's still it's, it's aged so well. Yes. It has. One day we'll have to get into more of that just black songs that just aged beautifully. Because I have quite a few. That well, no, we're not gonna talk about that. I'm gonna say it right quick. Outcast the criminal. That that album. That's another topic for another day. Yeah. Just know. And anything by Marvin Gaye. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so my two, um, because he talked a lot about hip hop, so I said the first one I think, um, I said was protecting it by Wu Tang. Um, and the other one I said was Nirvana. Smells like Teen Spirit. I definitely got. The, that resonated with me. And I think so. those two songs define them perfectly. I do too. Because it's a, it's a mixture of the two. Right. Um, so those are my two. So if you do read the book, I want, you know, and you want to give us maybe comment, um, if you read what songs would you put on the soundtrack as you read this book? Um, we would love to see it. Yeah, I would love to see it. I would love to know what people, um, what type of music people would put to this book. This, so. this book. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so I think, um, that's it. I think that's all we have. Thank you um, for letting us, um, tune in with you guys, awkward, um, awkward people. Awkward misfits. Yeah, misfits, that's it. Yeah, I've had, we, no look, I've, I've been sipping wine and I'm, I'm kind of there. Yeah, so. we've been going to go sip, sip, trying to last, but, you know, this, like I said, this is our, our, our first initial launch, our episode, so we guys really hope that you, um, where can they find you? Where can they find you? Well, for me, myself, um, you can find me on Instagram because Facebook denied my profile. Well, they, what did they say? What did they say? They told me I violated the community guidelines in 30 minutes with a page that didn't have nothing on it. <laughs> I didn't know. I that shit was funny as hell to me. <laughs> I kind of feel Yeah. How did they know you were lying, though? I don't know. That's what I was trying to figure out, too. Wow. It's like two days off. I was like, well, whatever. Y'all just say me. Oh, because my ABD won't allow me to pay attention to multiple platforms. But I am on Instagram, and it is Instagram Mishi, which is M-E-E-S-H-Y-579. And uh, my page is very public because I have nothing to hide because I'm not going to post no shit to you that I want y'all not to know. 
So that's where you can find me on Skin is N E E S H Y five seven nine. Um, we also can find me via Because Black, and they're on Instagram as well, which is um Because Black, which is the word because and B O K. Um, you can also find Because Black on Facebook. Just do a search for uh, Facebook. Um, and Because Black same spelling as well as Twitter. So, um, so where can I find you? Well, guys, if you, um, should choose to be nosy and lurk my mediocre life, <laughs> my name on IG is Toy underscore Renee, and that's spelled T-O-I underscore R-E-N-E-E. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's that. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh-uh. What? She also does photography. She's trying to Oh, yeah, I'm, um, listen, I'm, I'm not, not trying to, look, shameless plug, shameless mm-hmm. plug. I'm, I'm not a shameless plugger, so. We're gonna plug anyway, just to say, if you need pictures, if you're interested, what is the, what's your page, girl? Because if you, black. If you go, if you go to my page, there's a link, um, at the top, and it's L Toy Photography. That's E-L-L-E. Same spelling, um, as Toy, T-O-I, photography altogether. Hey, hey, that's not a shameless plug. We are here to promote and support black business. That's right. This is a black business. So y'all, bitch, y'all check that out and thank you. Support. Thank you, friend. You're welcome. Anytime. So yeah, so you guys, once again, we thank you all so very much for allowing, um, us to engage your space. Thank you once again to Lady Dog and Jesus Church for allowing us to take Yes, because we had this bitch. Exactly. And we're going to be back again, just so y'all know. Um, there will be a new book up. I'm actually very excited for this. So we will be posting that on Because Black. Um, and you will get the details on that as well as where to find that book as well. So I'm looking very forward to that selection. Um, and I hope to be talking to you guys again soon. So I can say once again, thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye.